God is so faithful. We're in our second week of a series that we're talking about being mission-minded for the sake of the gospel. What does it look like to be mission-minded? And I want to encourage every person in this church, if you're a part of this church, that we are a note-taking church. And the whole church says amen. Amen. And, And what that means is that as the preachers are preaching, we're writing down what sticks to our hearts. We're writing down what stands out. And the reason we do that is because what begins to happen is throughout the week as we pray and as we reflect, the Lord is able to give us new wisdom on things he's already said. Amen. And so I, I want to just challenge every member of our church. And maybe you don't come on a regular basis with, with uh, apparatus to take notes. Use your phone. Put that bad boy in airplane mode. Don't get stuck in Instagram. Don't get stuck in the scroll. Praise God. Unless it's the Bible. That's the only scroll we're going to do at church on Sundays. Amen. But I want to encourage you to be note takers. Amen. Or at least fake it. Praise God. <laughs> I mean, last week we spoke about this idea of shifting our mindsets from this temporal mindset to an eternal mindset. An eternal mindset meaning that we understand. Somebody say understand. understand. We understand that this life is fleeting. This life is going to go away, but there will always be something greater in eternity waiting for us. And so we have to be focused, not just on what we're seeing here, but what is God saying over the rest of our eternal existence? What would this church look like? Hear me now. What would this church look like if every member was completely devoted to the purpose that God has put on the house? And what would we look like if we made an intentional decision to have the heart of Jesus for all things, to have the mission of God for your life as the forefront of your pursuit in everything that you do? As we continue in this topic, I want to look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And I'm going to read from 35 on down to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And then we're going to pray, amen? And it says this in the ESV version, Sessy. <laughs> and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had, somebody say it with me, compassion, compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Come on, let's pray. Father, your word is so, is so good. Let us never grow weary in hearing your word, Jesus. We just make space in this service for you to speak to your sons and your daughters. That you would sow into our hearts a word that would bear fruit, that would not be lost on us by Monday morning, but God, that it would bear good fruit. We want to be a church that is about the kingdom's business. Would you speak to our heart to convict us where we need to have that conviction? In your name we pray. Come on, the church says. Some years ago, I had a really great privilege, a number of years ago, about 10 years now. I had this amazing privilege to be able to go to Rwanda 
on a missions trip with Pastor Carmen, Denise, uh, Eunice's daughter, and a couple of other people uh, that we were with. And we went to this nation of Rwanda into this ministry called Africa New Life. And this ministry was phenomenal because they, they were doing such a good job at building orphanages and schools that the government was building brand new schools and just giving it to them because they were doing such a great job at educating uh, the children. And so we had gone over there to see what they were doing, to be able to sow into it, make sure it was a real work, because I'm not just going to give to some missionary who says they have a work. I want to see for myself if you're really doing the work, and then we will sow. Somebody said amen. amen. Diligence, amen. amen. And so we went over there, and we began to see what they were doing, and it was just absolutely Phenomenal. We had gone, gone over there with a bunch of like Crocs and a bunch of shoes and medical supplies. And, and we had done a bunch of stuff that we had brought for them. And we had backpacks upon backpacks and garbage bags filled with all types of shoes for the kids and toys. And we were one day on our way to one of the mission, uh, mission houses they had. And, and it was a remote village. It was a long drive. And we, on that drive, we passed this little shack. We passed this little shack and there were these children, some of them poorly dressed, some of them half dressed, and, and, and they began to cry out to us and they were saying, Mzungu. And I said to the white man, Richard Everett, who was with me, and some of you know this part, he, I said, what, what are they saying? He said, they're calling you white man. And I was like, yes. I'm like, I had to go to Africa to be white. Like, Praise God, you know? And, and he's laughing at me. But these children, they weren't the object of my mission but they became the affection of my heart. And something just began to stir in my heart. And although what we had in the car wasn't supposed to be for them, Pastor Carmen and me and Denise were all thinking the same thing. Can we stop and give these kids some supplies? Do you have that for me, Karina? And so these are the children and they came to the car and we just began to give them Whatever we could. There goes, there goes Pastor Carmen, and she's just telling them, one per each of y'all. But this little baby here stole my heart in, in this yellow uh, dress there. And, and, and these children, and just seeing them, how happy they were to get new sandals or to get a piece of candy or to get something. And, and it just did something to my heart. And, and you have to understand that as we drove there, they weren't the mission, but our hearts were moved by them. Are you with me on that? You have to understand this. They, they were not the immediate thing that we went to do, but our heart was moved to be able to help these children. And I believed in my heart that we had to stop and just bless them as best as we could in that moment. Thank you, Karina. As best as we could in that moment. Because there's something about driving by a need that causes you to have to say, should I meet that need? If you as a believer can drive by and, 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 and just see people as obstacles and not opportunities, we have to evaluate the depth of our belief in Jesus. I remember one time I was in DR and I was driving for an excursion. I was on vacation and I was driving for an excursion and I just began to see the poverty that was in the island and I'm sitting there in the back of this truck with a bunch of other people from all over the world who were on vacation and I'm sitting there weeping and crying because I see the poverty on this island and it's just when you see it and you're confronted with it, how can you enjoy your excursion when so many people are suffering? 
You see, in the verses that we just read in the book of Matthew, and you should know this, that Matthew was written for Jews. Matthew was a Jew. He wrote it for Jews. And, and when he wrote the book of Matthew, he starts with the genealogy of Jesus so that he can track Matthew's genealogy all the way back to David so that they can know he is from a kingly lineage. And so Matthew is writing this from the lens of a Jewish perspective. And so when you read the book of Matthew, you have to have those glasses on because you might miss some of the idioms and some of the metaphors that he's giving because you're looking at it from a very Western perspective. But we have to look at it from the eyes of a Jewish individual. And there's so much to unpack in these few verses. The scripture tells us that Jesus is on a mission trip, basically, to the, to the area of Galilee. And he's going to all the towns and every village, it says. And he's beginning to, to do work in the kingdom in those areas. And, and the mission of Jesus is really clear. He reiterates it in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That which is lost, the primary method by, by which Jesus did this, listen to me, church, is the pro proclamation of the kingdom of God. At this point in time, Jesus is the only person on the earth proclaiming the kingdom of God because his cousin John, he was, he was proclaiming the kingdom, but he's now been arrested. He's now been killed. And so Jesus is the only person proclaiming the kingdom of God. And this begins to be evident in a moment when you see the response of Jesus. The byproduct, listen to me, the byproduct of the proclamation of the gospel is a demonstration of the power through healing, deliverance, and miracles, signs, and wonders. We cannot think that we start with the miracle, signs, wonders, and then proclaim the gospel. Jesus, his method was the proclamation and then the demonstration. Jesus was doing Jesus things, y'all. At this point in the history of Israel, they've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for a Savior from the lineage of David. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises dating back to Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise, but they could not see it because they were in such bad spiritual condition. During this time that Jesus is on the earth, the Roman Empire is expanding at an exponential rate and they have actually taken over Israel. And actually in the time of Jesus was a very politically crazy time. There was a lot of civil unrest and there were even people in, in Jesus' crew who were like political zealots. His name was Simon. They call him Simon the Zealot. He was a political wild man. Some of y'all know some friends like that. Those are the ones that you block. You don't unfriend them. You just muted them on social media because you can't take their views no more. Could you imagine every time they're walking to a different village and, and Simon's like, Peter, you don't understand. These people are evil. This political party is the best one. And he's having all these conversations. This is in Jesus's crew. So if you got some people who don't look like you, don't act like you, don't think like you, it's okay. That's what Jesus had. But in the time of Jesus... The kingdom and the empire of Rome was, was literally over Israel, and they had puppet kings who were governing Israel. And the era that Jesus is born into is filled with political uncertainty, spiritual apathy, and spiritual abuse where religion has rooted its way into God's people. And Jesus goes into this time and this season, and you know what he proclaims? The kingdom of God is here and now. 
He proclaims the gospel, and here's why. Because the gospel is the mechanism by which the mission of God is fulfilled. It is the gospel and only the gospel. He was mission-minded. He was focused on the mission. Now listen to verse 36 again with that in mind. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is standing there and he looks over the crowd and, and his mission field is there. His heart begins to be stirred by what he sees in them. And the illustration used here is they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Knowing that Matthew writes this from a Jewish perspective, we have to look now at the Old Testament and we see starting even in Numbers 27, 17, when Moses is ordaining Joshua as the next leader of Israel, the Bible says that God says, so that my children will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Joshua, you have to lead them. When Micah the prophet goes to Ahab and he begins to prophesy to Ahab his own death, he says, I saw Israel like sheep without a, somebody say it with me, shepherd. When Zechariah begins to have a, 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 a view of the, of the people of Israel and he's prophesying, he tells them that he saw the people of God like sheep without a shepherd. And so in the Old Testament, this holds a political connotation that, that this idea of sheep without a shepherd would not have been unfamiliar to his disciples. It meant that there was bad political leadership, but Jesus is looking deeper. He's not worried about politics. That may surprise you. Jesus is looking a little bit deeper. And for Israel to be like sheep without a shepherd, it means this, that leadership has failed. Oh, we can look across our country in every sphere and look that leadership has failed. We look no further than the Board of, of Education in Bridgeport and realize leadership has failed our children. We look no further than the condition of our state and our nation at times and look and see that various political parties and every leader has in the end failed our nation. And in the end, we are in desperate need of something much deeper than what man can provide. And Jesus looks over the crowd and he sees this death and he sees this need and he begins to weep over them because his people are like sheep without a shepherd. One commentary states that this word compassion, when it says he had compassion on them, there is no English word, single word, that is equivalent to express the multiplicity of what that word means, how much he felt for them. There is no English word to define it. And Jesus begins to sit there and he's, he's, he's looking over the crowd. He's already worked the miracles. He's already done for them. And his heart is broken because they are unprotected sheep. They are open to predators. They are open to people who would take advantage of them. They are open to wolves who would come in and kill them and steal and destroy from the flock. They are open to people abusing of their, of their willingness to help or their, or their good nature. He sees it because they lack leadership they are vulnerable like sheep without a shepherd why is it so important pastor Lewis to be in church and in community because everybody needs leadership in your life oh I'm led by God but God has given that authority in the earth to men and there's proper order in the house of God. There's no lone rangers in the, in the gospel. We're all in this together. There's got to be proper order in the house of God. Israel was being taken advantage of. And in the context that this text is talking about, it's talking about religiously. They were being taken advantage of. And so Jesus looks over them and he begins 
to have compassion on them. Now, I failed to tell you earlier that that I want to talk to you today on this simple topic of his plans in my hands. Because I, as a believer and as a leader, I don't have a plan for the house of God. I am following God's plan. I have been given by the Lord a plan for the region. And because the Lord gives men plans, he puts it into our hands. But if our willingness is not there, then we cannot be able to do the plans of God in the earth. If we're not mission-minded, if we're not focused on the things of God, there will be no place for you to have your hands to the plow, so to speak, so that you can be ready for the harvest. Are you with me so far? Here's my first point for you today, really simple, that we must have God's heart in order to be God's hands. Jesus had the heart of God for the people. His ministry was literally ceaseless activity and constant work because there was so much to do. Many, a believer, looks over the crowds in your life and we don't have compassion. We go to Walmart and we see long lines and and your, your thought process isn't how many of these people don't know Jesus. I remember very young sitting at a baseball stadium with thousands of people and thinking to myself, oh no, how many of these people don't know Jesus? How many individuals who are in our lives that we see them every day have no knowledge of God to the point where they have come into relationship with him? Jesus looked at the crowd that we might look at and see an inconvenience and he saw compassion for them. He recognized their deep need. He recognized it. When you see the crowd, what do you see? When you're stuck in traffic, do you intercede for them? Or do you complain about the place that you're in? That's real, y'all. When when you're at a store and the line is exceedingly long, are you frustrated that they ain't got enough cashiers, Pastor Lenny? They should know better. What a bunch of first world privileged brats we can be. Rather than saying, you know, Lord, I would take this moment to intercede for them. Oh, well, pastor, sometimes I just be upset. God's still working on me. He was still working on Stephen when they were stoning him in Acts chapter 7. And his prayer was, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. And you're standing in line saying, I can't stand this place. I ain't never coming back. Rather than, Lord, I don't know if these people know you. This cashier might be having a really bad day, Lord Jesus. Would you touch their heart? Hey, how can I pray for you today? Hey, how can I minister to your heart today? Is there anything on your mind today? You need to shift your perspective. You cannot have God's hands work in your hands if you don't have God's heart. You can't do it. Beloved, you have to see this. You can't put your hands to the mission without his mentality, without his mind. He had compassion on them. I want to tell you something also, and I want to make this very clear for every single individual in this church. And I feel like for this generation of believers, this is so important to say. I don't want to confuse you, but I need to point this out to you. That the text tells us in verse 35 that Jesus has already healed every disease and illness among the crowd, Pastor Mary. He's already met all of their physical needs. 
He's, listen to me, he's already met their physical need. He had already broken every addiction. He had already moved every affliction. He had already healed every disease, the Bible says. The crowd was taken care of. Yet Jesus looks over them and his heart still breaks for them because he realizes I can fix every material issue you got. But if you ain't got something deeper inside, and it does not matter. The church is shifting in so many ways in our nation into a social justice movement where all we want to do is meet the needs of people and go home and feel good about ourselves because we fed them, because we clothed them. And although we should do that, there is something deeper we need to tell them. Do you know Jesus? There's a deeper need. We cannot reduce it in the gospel to I gave a homeless man a cheeseburger and I feel good about myself. Oh, I just planted a seed. Show me that in the Bible. Show me in the scripture. We have to shift our mindset. At the end, the issue is deeper. When Jesus fed the 5,000, scripture tells us the crowd followed him. And Jesus, he rebuked them. He said, you don't want the signs. You don't want the word I have. You don't want the teaching I give you. you. You're here for more bread. You're here for your stomach. You're here for your appetite. Far be it from the church just to go around and meet the need of everybody, but not give them eternal life through Christ. That cannot be the thing that we do. No social justice movement will fully bring sacred justice. It will not happen. It will not solve the issues of humanity. The issue of humanity is a deeper issue. It's an issue of a God-shaped void in the heart of man. No material thing I can give a man or a woman will ever bring them to Jesus. Lest I give them the gospel pure, unadulterated. The world is desperate for a true demonstration of the kingdom of God. We cannot reduce it to feeling good about ourselves for the small things we do. Oh, we feel great because we did something nice. And doing nice things, it feels great. The Bible says it's better to give than to receive. It does feel good, but never let that feeling intoxicate you. Never let that attention intoxicate your mindset about who you are in God. Have you shared the gospel with them? There's been many a person who come to the church and look for help, but once the help is given, they're nowhere to be found. And we've done them an error because we haven't challenged them with the gospel. Should we stop our efforts to meet the needs of people? No, but that cannot be the end game. As a matter of fact, it can't even be the tip of the spear. I believe that we need to proclaim the gospel above all things. Jesus looks at them after meeting every need and his heart still breaks for them. His heart still says there's so much more that I must do for them. And it's deeper. It's deeper than what I have already done. And he looks at them and he has compassion. That's the intentional compassion we need to have. And he had this compassion because he had fellowship with his father. He had this compassion because he spent prayer with his father. He had this compassion because he knew the word of God and he knew his mission. He had this compassion and we need to get that compassion. And we get it by being with the Lord. We get it by spending more time with God. We get it by being in fellowship and intimacy with God. Without that same compassion, our works will only propel us. But with the compassion of Jesus, we will see that there is so much more that we can accomplish. 
If we're going to be a mission-minded individual, we need the eyes and the heart of God to be ours. Jesus looks after the crowd. He has this compassion. And then he says this, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus brings forth a second illustration. The first illustration being sheep without a shepherd. The second illustration being that of harvest, both of which the people of Israel would have been familiar with. They would have understood. They would have known. And he says this, the harvest is plentiful. He does not say the coming harvest. He does not say what is about to happen. He says the current, present harvest, it is plentiful. He's looking at the people and he sees they are ready to receive. He looks at them and he realizes that they are ripe for the harvest. He recognizes the readiness of their hearts for spiritual guidance, for leadership in their life. I digress for 30 seconds to tell every person in this room that like that, Jesus tells every single one of us, you need spiritual leadership. You need spiritual guidance in your life. We all need the spiritual guidance in our lives. You can't do this on your own. But in the context of what Jesus is talking about, he's speaking with such a sense of urgency. Because if a harvest is not harvested inside of a certain time frame, it becomes worthless and it dies on the vine. How many people are dying on the vine all around you? How many people are dying on the vine at your job because you've refused to share, because you've refused at times to be the light? How many people in our community, in the places that we shop at and frequent, are they dying on the vine because they're ready for the harvest, but we have not shared the gospel with them? Jesus says something. The harvest is plentiful. And he says this, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more laborers into his harvest. This is God's harvest. This is God's work. This is God's plan. But it requires our hands. It requires us. You have this assignment on your life. Every single person in this room has a mandate. See, much of Christianity has turned into this passive idea where we come into a building for information like I'm doing right now, but yet there is no transformation in your heart. Paul would say, you are ever learning but never growing. We want more Bible studies and we want more of this and more of that and we want more of everything, but we refuse to mature and grow. Jesus says, no, 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 the harvest is now. You've got to get out there. Christianity is not passive, it is active. The Bible says that he has prepared good works for us to do. Do you recognize the harvest all around us? Do you see people as being ready to receive the gospel? Do you see it? People want Jesus. People need Jesus. The gospel is transformational. The second point is really simple, that there is a readiness to respond to the gospel in the earth. Church, there is a readiness to respond to the gospel. God's plan is that people respond to the gospel that is in you, that they would hear it and that they would receive it. All around us are people who need Jesus. All around us, there are people who are like sheep without a shepherd. They are harassed. They are helpless by the works of darkness. They are being tormented by generational curses. They are being bruised and beaten by the words of their spouses. They are being broken down by the lies of society that says you're this or you're that. They are broken down by their weariness of life. They don't 
don't even want to wake up in the morning and here you are walking by them. You're supposed to be a light, but you got a shade on. When do you shine bright for the sake of the gospel? When is the mission going to be on your mind? The issue of Jesus in that day is the issue of today. That in relationship to the harvest, there's not enough laborers. Listen to me. In relationship to the size of the harvest, there's not enough laborers. Do you understand what Jesus said? Do you understand what is happening in that scripture? Jesus is, is there. He's met every need. This breaks my heart to think about. Pastor Mary, he's, he's met every need. He's healed every disease. And he looks out and he realizes I'm the only laborer. He's the only one proclaiming the gospel of the earth. He's the only one. He's all by himself. The 12 don't get it yet. He looks at the need and he says, oh, it's just me, Dad. Thank you. He says, Dad, it's just me. Dad, I'm here by myself. I can't do this. Jesus is on top of this mountain. He's looking at the crowds and he, he has the epiphany. I need some help. We don't read it like that. We think that Jesus has a whole great crew and he's like, no, 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 I'm by myself in this. I'm by myself in this. What he's saying is there are too many of them for me. And he says to his 12 and he says to his crew and he says, guys, I need you to pray. Much like a leader or a pastor might pray and say, God, would you awaken the hearts of the church to see the great need before us? Not the need of the church, but the need of society. Because the need of society is the church because in the church is Christ. And Christ has given the church as the vehicle by which he will redeem all things. Jesus says, I ain't got no help, Dad. Would you pray because manpower is low? Would you pray, Peter, would you pray and ask the Lord? Would you pray, Peter, John, Andrew, Simon, Judas, would you pray? Because I need some help. Jesus was wary. He looks over the masses and he, he says, I don't have enough for them. There's still more to meet this need. He says, pray earnestly. Pray with intensity. Pray. Not a passive prayer, but an active prayer on the fire. Pray with passion. Pray because I, I need some help in what I'm doing. When I read it with this lens, when I read it understanding that Jesus was having the realization that he needed the help, it brings a different weight to this text. Because he says to us, would you be the laborers in the field. Would you consider to pray earnestly? Lou Angle, he's a, a, an evangelist and revivalist type preacher. He, 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 he talks about this text, this scripture. And, and this word 
where it says, would you ask the Lord of the harvest to send out? Those two words, send out, is the singular Greek word, ekbalo, which, which isn't talking about a, a, a real passive send out. It's this idea of forcibly catapulting people into the harvest. It's like in an instant, boom, it's just this real powerful blasting off into ministry. He says, would you pray that the Lord of the harvest will blast people into the ministry? Would you pray that the Lord of the harvest will, will take you like a cannonball out of a cannon and shoot you into the harvest because there is so much work to do and there is so much need and my people are like sheep without a shepherd. Would you pray that you would be catapulted on the heels of Jesus saying this, we read Matthew 10, 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. You see, when the Bible was written, it was not divided into chapters and verses. And so this Matthew 10, 1 is a continuation of Matthew 9, 37 and 38 there. It's just a continuation. And here's what Jesus does. He gives those who are following him the authority to do the same work that he was doing to cast out devils, to deal with unclean spirits, and to heal diseases. I don't know if you see this. I don't know if you're catching this. In between Jesus saying pray, and then verse 1 of chapter 10, he's like, tag, you're it. You interceded for it. Now go do it. You are the answer. You are the one I want to send. You are the ones. He makes his mission their mission he gives them a duplicate power and authority as to what he has as they prayed that the lord of the harvest would send more laborers they became the very answer to their intercession they became the very answer to their own prayers here's point number three that through prayer the mission of the master becomes the mission of the masses that through prayer when jesus it's glorified and lifted up in our lives, in our hearts. His mission becomes ours. He is our master. His mission becomes the mission of the church. And we look across society and we don't see long lines. We see a mission field. We don't see people who are annoying us by asking for help. We see opportunity. We don't see our cousins or siblings who we can barely love. We see people who desperately need the gospel. We don't walk down the street and look at a neighbor who always smoking weed and making your house stink. We look at a person who needs Jesus desperately looking down on people because they don't got it right how dare you Jesus looks at that and sees compassion you look at it with contempt but when will the mission of the master become the mission of the masses in the church it'll be when you pray it'll be when you seek the Lord I don't know where you're at in your walk with God but many around you need exactly what you have Oh, but pastor, I ain't been saved that long. I don't have the words and I don't this and I don't that. If you do it, it'll be your glory. But if the Holy Spirit rises up in you the moment you open your mouth, it is to the praise and to the glory of God. For you will save no one, but by the grace of God, the Spirit of God through you will rise up and you will save many with the Spirit empowering you. But by yourself, you have nothing. He gives authority and power. Not for you to have riches and fame, but for you to reach and to help. Through prayer we become Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Through prayer 
we become Ephesians 6 where, where Paul is talking about the armor of God. And I love that in the midst of talking about armor and warfare, he says, oh, don't forget to have the shoes of the readiness of the gospel on you. That meaning in the middle of a battle, you might have to break down and, and actually preach the gospel to somebody else. Always be ready in every spiritual setting to prepare for someone to know Jesus. Have a readiness of the gospel with you. It's through prayer that we receive the mission of God. That we will intercede for the community and the city. It's through prayer that we see the harvest come to Christ. It's through prayer. You are the answer God is looking for. Look no further than yourself. The man in the mirror is the solution powered by the Holy Spirit. It's you he's looking for. It's you. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus gives us the great commission and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, he's given you all authority and all power. If you would just believe. Come on, stand with me all across the sanctuary. I ask you to bow your heads all across this room and just to ask the Lord, Lord, what is your mission for me this week? Who is close to me and far from you? Who is around me that you would have me reach? Who, Lord, who, who, who? Who, God? How can I lay down my plans for you? God, how can I do for you? God, how can I do it for you? Jesus, what can I do for the sake of the kingdom? How can I be effective this week? Would you give me your heart? Would you break my heart for yours? and for Show me, God. Show me all around me. The people who need you. Let's just take a moment here. I don't even want to do an altar call right now. I just want to linger in the presence because, because some of us who need to come won't come, but the Spirit of God can get you right in your seat. Every head bowed in the moment, just out of respect and honor for the Lord. Would you, with a sincere heart, if you are willing, ask the Lord to break your heart for what breaks is, that you want his compassion. Forgive us, Lord, for selfishness, for being focused on self so much that we miss at times the harvest around us. Forgive us, Jesus. Come on, if you know that at times you can be so focused on your day and, and what you're doing and your agenda that you missed it, I want you to honestly take a moment ask the Lord to forgive you because if you confess, he will forgive. Jesus, forgive us for not seeing it like you see it. Forgive us 
for not doing what you've asked and for not being the laborers you've called us to be. Would you forgive us, Jesus? No, 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 church, we need a real attitude adjustment. We need a real fine-tuning of the heart. God, tune up. Tune up your church, God. Tune up your church, God, to love you, pursue you, chase after you. We desperately need you. Every head bowed in this moment, every eye closed. Is there anybody in this room who you can say to me, Pastor Lewis, I, I haven't made a decision for Jesus. I haven't made a clear choice for Christ. And, or maybe you've made a clear choice for Christ, but you have not kept that. And maybe in this moment of prayer and intercession, you're saying, I, I want to commit my life to God. If that's you, right from your seat, would you raise your hand as high as you can? I want to pray for you. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you today. Maybe, maybe you've walked away from truth. Come on. Maybe you have not walked in the way that God would have you walk. Just lifting your hand. If you're online watching, I want you to just comment in the section uh, of the comments and, and say, Pastor, that's me. We have people standing by to pray with you. Come on. We have two people, three people raising hands. Come on. Come on. Jesus, I, I just want it. Everything you have. Come on, let's take a moment and pray. And let's say this prayer together as a church body. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I want you to have total control of my whole heart. Jesus, I invite you in. I need you more than ever. Give me your heart. Give me your eyes. I want to see it like you see it. You are my Lord, my Savior. In your name I pray, Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, somebody give God praise. Come on. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, church, this week, don't let this preaching be setting you here and say amen, but live it out this week. Be the light in somebody's life. If you, if you made a decision for Christ today, I want to encourage you to go to the people that are in the foyer, the Connect team, and, and give them your information. We have a small gift for you. We love you. We want to help you grow in Christ. Amen? We want to connect with you. We want to love on you and be able to help you grow in Christ. Come on, I'm going to pray for you one more time as we make our way out. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being faithful. We thank you for being good. We honor you. We love you. Would you let this word birth something in our hearts? Birth something in our hearts. A fire of sorts. To be committed to the mission of the gospel. Jesus, we love you. Bless our week as we go forward, Lord God. Bless your people. Bless your church. Come on, the church says amen. 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 God bless you guys.